Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This is the Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. WILK News Radio. This is for Body Shop Guy. Whiskey Girl. Great good morning, everyone. 10.07 a.m. here in the Great Northeast. This beautiful Tuesday, February 6, 2024. This is the Bob Cadaro Show. I am he. It is a big day to fight for America, defend our values, and honor the brave who have made us and kept us free. People like Robert Samuels of West Wyoming, John Hyder of Luzerne County, R.J. Thomas of Scranton, and Richard Almany of Springbrook Township, who have made us and kept us free and honor us today. We honor them today. So with history, our great founding fathers and the incomparable Constitution of the United States of America as our guides, let us continue today's battle and gavel back to order after a brief news adjournment. This meeting of the Club for Common Sense, promising to provide... In Toby Keith's honor, a sanctuary of sanity for all of you. In a world in which calling something what it is, is somehow wrong. I want to go to the meaning of the word as we continue to listen to Toby. Idiocy. It is extreme folly or stupidity. Is it extreme folly or stupidity? By the way, on behalf of Joe Biden, I'm giving him credit and not calling it evil on his behalf, although he's a pretty evil guy. Calling him an idiot is a compliment. It's too mild. A hundred thousand plus people have died of the fentanyl he's led into our borders. We just had two cops get the snot beat out of them in Times Square, New York, by illegal aliens that Joe Biden let in that another Democrat allowed into his sanctuary city. What, What am I missing here? Please tell me. Wow. Happy to make your day, body shop guy. You make ours every day. So, you know we have our guy Rick Bigelow on, and he provides such incredible history to us, 
each and every time he's on. And I tell him, please, what's next? What's next? And what was next is Wake Island, World War II. Uh, He calls it the Alamo of the Pacific, December of 1941. Wake Island is a coral atoll in the northwestern Pacific Ocean. Now, Rick kindly sent me a map. And, boy, they're so critical to see. And it lays out all of the island chains of consequence in the Pacific. And Wake Island is almost... Well, you got Wake, you've got Midway, which is Midway in the Pacific, and then you go to Wake Island, moving west. And in December 1941, the height of the Japanese advance in World War II, it was a critical, critical location, and he joins us now. Rick Bigelow, welcome back, my friend. Glad to be with you, Bob. All right, tell us, my friend, uh, Wake Island. We all heard of it, but you've got a little history on the island itself, and then we can get right to what happened there. Okay. Uh, well, you know, there, there's a million great stories that came out of World War II, and the story of Wake Island, in my opinion, is right up there with, with the best of them. So Wake Island is just uh, a Pacific Atoll, which means it's, a, it's the top of an undersea volcano, and it's only about two or three square miles. Uh, the highest point on the island is 21 feet above sea level. Mm. And uh, there's very little vegetation. There's scrub brush and very small trees and no palm trees, which was disappointing to the guys who went there. Uh, so anyway, it was discovered in, uh, in the late 1700s by uh, Captain Samuel Wake of a British merchant ship. And he named the island after himself. And it stuck. Uh, that I, I, that yeah. was one of the things I noted about the summary. You sent me. I'm going, wait a minute. I'm, I'm pretty proud of this guy. He names the island after himself. And the name sticks. Yeah, it stuck. <laughs> and, and it was so difficult to get to. He never went ashore. He just it, it, The inlets and the reefs and so on and so forth were treacherous. So he never went ashore. But he named the island and it stuck. So back... <laughs> In, in the 1840s, a Navy lieutenant named Charles Wilkes uh, happened by the island, and he claimed it for the U.S. So it became a U.S. territory, although there were some British claims to it, too, but uh, we we held on to it. It's remote. Japan's 2,000 miles to the northwest. Honolulu is 2,300 miles to the east. Guam is 1,500 miles to the west. Midway is 1,200 miles to the northeast. And the Kwajalein Atoll in the Marshall Islands is about 600 miles to the south. Doesn't that, when it you was, when you mention these distances, doesn't that give the concept of the vastness of the Pacific Ocean? Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. You know, Honolulu is 2,300 miles away, and, and basically that's the distance from New York to L.A. Yeah. So, and, and that's only a third of the way across the Pacific. Oh. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It takes a long time, even a even in a plane to get across the Pacific. So the island was essentially uninhabited until Pan Am decided to build a base to accommodate its 
Pan Am China Clipper flying boats. So these these flights went from California to Hawaii to Midway to Wake to Guam, Manila, and then Tokyo. And these were the first Trans-Pacific uh, flights. And when in the and world. when you mentioned those those Pan Am flights, people got on to this really extended journey in suits and ties. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it took four or five days to get all the way uh, from San Francisco or Los Angeles to to Tokyo, and and, and, and it was expensive. And, and Rick Bigelow, it. You know, they had actual silverware and China on the plane. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> they, and they were pretty big. These these flying boats were pretty big, and they were kind of spacious. And some of them actually had uh, places, you know, beds in them where you could get a little cabin and, and uh, people could could sleep. But it was, uh, it was definitely a, a, an upper-class type of thing. And, you know, diplomats and movie stars and – and very wealthy people and adventurers went on these trips. So, yeah. uh, and once you got to Wake, there wasn't much to do. Uh, Pan Am actually built a hotel there because uh, people would stay overnight. They'd, they'd come in and and stay overnight, and then the next morning they'd resume their journey. So, and and that didn't start until 1937. So, uh, basically, uh, as we got closer to war in the Pacific. Uh, the U.S. looked at it and said, you know, this is this would kind of be a good place to uh, build a fortified uh, military base as kind of an, an outer uh, outer echelon of, of fortresses, of fortress islands uh, against the Japanese. And, of course, the Japanese were looking at it. Uh, Gee, that would be a really good uh, place to have a base so we could attack Midway and uh, Pearl Harbor from there. So uh, all of a sudden, this little nondescript island uh, was going to become a, a, a very valuable piece of real estate, especially as uh, the bombers got longer range and, and, and longer range. Uh, it was became feasible to have them stationed on these islands in the Pacific. So in, in January of 1941, the Navy began construction of a, a big Navy base and an air facility on Wake. Uh, the Navy put a, a guy named uh, Commander Winfield Scott Cunningham in place uh, in charge of the island, but he didn't arrive on the island until November 28th of 1941. So that was like 10 days before the Pearl Harbor attack. Oh, wow. So, it, But in August 1941, the Marines sent elements of the 1st Marine Defense Battalion, which was a total of 449 officers and men were sent to the island under the command of uh, Major James Devereaux. Uh, and then on December 3rd of 1941, the Enterprise delivered Marine Fighter Squadron VMF-211 to Wake. That squadron included 13 pilots and 12 of the F-4, F-3 Wildcats. So on the, the day the uh, war broke out, there were about 500 Marines, 68 sailors, five Army troops, uh, who were uh, handling a communication station, and about 1,151 civilian contractors. And most of these contractors were from Idaho, uh, and they they worked for Idaho-based Morrison Knudsen, who had a lot of the contracts to build these bases in the Pacific. There were also about 70 Pan Am employees on the island at the time. 
Now, fortunately, most of the Marines were artillerymen and uh, staff for the fighter squadron. Interestingly enough, several of the construction workers were World War I veterans from the U.S. and from Germany and even from Russia. And from the moment uh, that he got to Wake, uh, Major Devereaux drove his Marines hard to build suitable gun emplacements and defensive positions. One of the interesting stories about Devereaux, since he was the senior military guy on, on the base at the time, he had to meet with visiting dignitaries and government officials who came to wake on the uh, Pan Am China Clipper. One of these visitors was Special Envoy Saburo Caruso, who was on his way to Washington to negotiate with Secretary of State Hull. Uh, Devereaux wouldn't let him leave the hotel. <laughs> Isn't this incredible? I, I, yeah, I, it, I, that's it, why I know you you focused on this Wake Island. So the guy who's going to negotiate while they're attacking Pearl Harbor, Kurusu, is is going through Wake Island. <laughs> wow. Right. Well, yeah, I, other than, you know, taking a 20-day uh, sea voyage, uh, the Pan Am Clipper was the only way to, yeah. to get uh, from Tokyo to the West Coast. <laughs> and the interesting thing about Caruso uh, was that he was married to an American uh, and of European descent. He met while he was in the U.S. as part of a uh, <laughs> Japanese diplomatic mission years yeah. earlier. So, so, I mean, that that's just one of those interesting little nuggets. And, and he... Uh, he was a lot like Yamamoto, and he understood that the uh, industrial might of the United States, which was lying dormant at the time, but uh, it was there to be revived. And he uh, he was not in favor of war with uh, Japan, but, you know, he had his marching orders, and, and uh, so off to Washington he went. All right, so Wake, uh, Wake Island is, I mean, sort of fortified. They've... Uh, six five-inch guns, you tell me, which have a right. range of about eight and a half miles. And I, when you think of World War II technology, World War II-era technology, that's pretty impressive. Twelve yep. three-inch guns with seven-mile range. They had 18 50-caliber machine guns, 30 30-caliber machine guns, lots of grenades, lots of food. That sets the stage. We're going to come back with the initial Japanese attack. Rick Bigelow. Veteran, patent attorney extraordinaire, and historian for this program will be with us when we return. Toby Keith, a little less talk, a lot more action. We lost him at age 62. We'll be uh, weaving his uh, songs into the program. And we're talking to Rick Bigelow now about Wake Island. And we've sort of set the stage for the first attack by the Japanese. And Rick rejoins us. Uh, all right, Rick, fire away. Okay, let's talk about the initial Japanese attack on Wake Island. So on December 8, 1941, this was just a few hours after the Pearl Harbor attack, 36 Japanese Mitsubishi bombers from air bases in the Marshall Islands attacked the airstrip at Wake. Uh, they also attacked some of the gun emplacements. The raid destroyed eight of the 12 Marine Wildcats and a small cargo ship and killed 23 Marine aviation personnel, including all of the aviation mechanics. 
now the Marines were, were down to four fighters. And I think the question is, well, couldn't we see them coming? And we didn't have radar. Uh, the radar that was supposed to be installed was sitting on the pier at Pearl Harbor at the time. So additional Japanese air, air raids uh, occurred on December 9th and 10th. Uh, the first Marine from Devereaux's Defense Battalion who was killed in one of the gun uh, emplacements was uh, Private John Kachak of Coldale, Pennsylvania, and that's about 15 miles south of Hazleton. Mm. Japanese pilots uh, told their superiors that bombing strafing had essentially wiped out the Wake Garrison. In reality, uh, the Marine artillery was relatively unscathed. So after two more days of aerial bombings, a Japanese task force attend, attempted to land and take wake. wake. Uh, the Japanese fleet consisted of three light cruisers, seven destroyers, two landing ships, and 450 what the Japanese called Special Naval Landing Force troops, which were essentially Marines. But they had no air support. So at 6 a.m. On, on December 11th, as the Japanese force moved closer to the shore and began bombarding the atoll, Devereaux told his troops not to fire back until they got very close. So the Japanese believed that all the defenses on the island had been destroyed, so they began loading up their landing barges with troop and equipment. When the Japanese ships got to about 4,000 yards, uh, two miles offshore, uh, Devereaux ordered his batteries to commence firing and they sank two Japanese destroyers and damaged others. <laughs> and and Rick Bigelow, this reminds me of the old uh, "Don't fire till you see the whites of their eyes." Wow, exactly. That's courageous. He, he really sucked them in. And of course, the Marines are like, "What are we waiting for?" <laughs> yeah. You know, these guys are in range. What are we? What's wrong with Devereaux? And, and uh, you know, he was he was he was dead right on that one. So. These were the first two major Japanese ships uh, that were sunk in World War II. So within a few hours, uh, the Japanese force withdrew to the marshals to prepare for another assault. And once again, the Marine guns on wake were largely unscathed. However, one of their fighters was severely damaged and on operable, so now the Marines were down to three fighters. Uh, later in the day, another Japanese bombing raid from the marshals attacked wake. <coughs> The, the nation knew about this because communications were still good from, from Wake to Pearl and back to the West Coast. So this uh, really gave the nation a shot in the arm of, uh, of good news when it most needed it. And uh, uh, one of the reporters uh, dubbed Wake Island as the Alamo of the Pacific. Well, and Rick Bigelow, on that note, let's take a break. We're going to hear from our great sponsors. We'll come back. We'll do our uh, veterans tribute, the weather, and then uh, the Wake Island relief effort and more with Rick Bigelow, our patent attorney, veteran, and historian. We'll take a break and be back. It's the Bob Cordaro Show. Robert Samuels, West Wyoming, passed away at age 84, January 7th, born in Luzerne. Graduate of Luzerne High School in 1957. Had a 35-year career at Acme Markets. U.S. Army Reserves. He was a tank commander for eight years. Was a volunteer for ARC. Pennsylvania Protection Advocacy. 
board member for First Hospital Behavior Services. All-around good guy, and he loved drag racing. Survived by his beloved wife of 62 years, Mary Ann. Their daughters and grandchildren, Robert Samuels. John Hyder, Wilkes-Barre. They say he was one of the most well-known men in Luzerne County. Born in Wilkes-Barre, G.A.R. High School, U.S. Navy for four years. Proudest of cracking a key weather code in the Korean War. He wore many hats after his military service. Little League coach, mini Mohawk football coach. Remember the Myers quarterback club where he said he had unlimited rights to scream at the legendary Mickey Gorham from the stands. He worked at Wilkes-Barre City Hall, Maria's Pizza, Maria's Pasties. He was worked for the clerk of courts in the courthouse, favorite Sunday school teacher. And although he was a full-blooded Arab, he managed to serve as president of the Italian-American Veterans, a position he carried with pride. His son's granddaughter survived him, John Hyder. R.J. Thomas, Robert, Scranton. His children, many grandchildren, great-grandchildren survive him. His wife, Pamela, predeceased him, as did a daughter. He knew tragedy. Served in the United States Air Force as a B-52 mechanic for five years. Then he was a Pennsylvania State policeman, one of our best, for 22 years. When he retired from there... He worked at Kelleher Tire. His wife, Pamela, and he had ran T-Bear Creations at Sugarman's Marketplace for over a decade. He was a man about town. R.J. Thomas. Richard Almany passed away at age 97 on December 3rd. He was a Springbrook Township resident. His wife survives him 71 years, his wife, June. Moscow High School, United States Navy, hospital corpsman. Eureka Specialty Printing was his career. North Pocono School Board for 20 years. Maple Lake United Methodist Church, dedicated to his wife and children, survived by them and his grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. Richard Almany, our veterans today. Storm Tracker 16 forecast from meteorologist Joe Snedeker. Today, mostly sunny. It'll be about 42 degrees. Tonight, clear skies, low of 25. Wednesday, mostly sunny, high of 46. So we talked. I want to get back to to, uh, Rick Bigelow and uh, all of the, the important stuff we're talking about with Wake Island World War II. But just a quick mention. Do you remember the denial of the gift card thing? Do you remember that? And we had people texting in, they're not giving out gift cards and they're not giving prepaid credit cards. They're not doing any of that for illegal aliens. Well, (laughs) it turns out they did. Remember what they do. They deny first. Then they admit it later on after several Uh, versions of the lie 
They then say, oh, yeah, we are because they need it. It's compassionate. It's the same pattern every time. All right, Rick Bigelow, talk to me. Uh, we've got uh, we got to talk about this attack, the bombing raids, and everything that's going on on Wake Island. Okay, uh, Admiral Kimmel, who was at the Sink Pack at at the time and and at Pearl Harbor, uh, said that uh, Wake was going to be important in the uh, in the u.s effort in the pacific and he ordered a relief effort uh and the relief effort was uh spearheaded by task force 14 uh, and the commander was rear admiral frank jack fletcher they left pearl on december 15 1941 to uh, resupply and reinforce wake uh so and included in that was uh the saratoga carrier so they were going to take airplanes and all kinds of equipment and and uh, marines to reinforce wake uh but a few days after the the uh, task force left kimmel was fired by fdr and replaced temporarily with admiral william s pie pie was never really in favor of the relief effort and at this point in time the uh a lot of the senior navy people were were more interested in in not engaging the japanese because you know, they they thought uh, they didn't want to put more of their ships at risk. And Pai was definitely in that camp. So he canceled the relief effort to... Uh, Why was Kimmel fired? Oh, Kimmel was the fall guy for Pearl Harbor. Okay. All right. Because he had been the, the naval commander in, in uh, Pearl Harbor at the time. And so so maybe we have this, this uh, ra- other than military rationale, we have this range of emotions from someone who feels responsible and wants to strike back and do anything he can in Kimmel to Pyle, who says, man, we're just, or Pyle, who says, we're not ready. We've got to wait. We're, We've got to gather and husband our resources. Yeah, th- that's exactly that. So, uh, so when Pyle replaced... Uh, Kimmel, he he wasn't in favor of it, and he, he eventually turned the uh, the uh, task force around because he had heard that there were were more Japanese carriers around. Of course, the, the Japanese had six carriers; we only had one or two at that point in time. So uh, they were definitely in the uh, conservation of resources mindset. Uh, Pi was eventually replaced by Nimitz, but by the time Nimitz got to Pearl Harbor on December 25th, uh, Wake had already fallen. Uh, so that was uh, that was too bad. It wasn't uh, wasn't a good look for the Navy at that point in time. Uh, but we we got better eventually. So there continued to be bombing raids on Wake from December 11th to the 23rd. Uh, there were very few uh, reprovisions. Uh, a couple of the Navy flying boats came in with with uh, provisions and and uh, unfortunately no no um, no more troops. So the the bombing raids were having an effect, and during the day there'd be a bombing raid. The the uh, Marines' guns would fire. The Japanese noticed where the guns were, so every night the Marines would move the guns, which was not an easy thing to do because each of them weighed several tons, and they you know had to get a bunch of guys and trucks and bulldozers and uh, dig out new uh, new uh, secure locations for the guns. So. You get bombed during the day, and then you work all night to uh, to move the guns. So it was not a pleasant time on Wake. 
So on December 23rd, the Japanese decided they're going to launch another big attack. Uh, since the first one had been repulsed, the Japanese came in heavy. Uh, the second task force uh, that was attacking had two carriers, six cruisers, two destroyers, landing craft, and about 2,500 Japanese Marines. Uh, following naval bombardment, the Japanese Marines started landing at 2.35 a.m. Initially, the Marines put up a terrific fight and were inflicting heavy casualties. But eventually, the Japanese cut the communication lines throughout the island, and Commander Cunningham, Major Devereaux, uh, didn't get a, a good picture of what was going on. At this point in time, the Marines had actually stopped the invasion and were counterattacking, mm. uh, but Devereaux thought the opposite was happening. He thought that the Japanese had overrun all his defensive positions, uh, but that actually hadn't happened. Uh, one of the uh, heroes of Wake was a Marine captain named Henry Hammer and Hank Elrod, who shot down two Japanese planes and, and sank a Japanese destroyer uh, from his Wildcat on December 8th. On December 12th, he shot down two more Japanese planes. Eventually, all the U.S. planes were destroyed, and Elrod uh, signed up as an infantryman and uh, was leading a counterattack when he was killed in action. And he became the, the first Marine of World War II to win the Medal of Honor. Did he deserve it? Wow. I, I, yeah. Eventually, uh, Cunningham and Devereaux decided to surrender because they they learned that the awake relief effort had been canceled because they've been promised for the previous two weeks that we're, we're coming to reinforce you. But then they found out on the 23rd that the uh, the relief effort had been canceled. So they surrendered. So during the 15-day the siege, 40 Marines Three sailors and 70 civilians were were killed. 433 uh, U.S. Uh, servicemen were taken prisoner. 1,100 uh, civilian contractors were also taken prisoner. The Japanese losses were staggering. The official Japanese records say 1,000 sailors and Marines were killed. Other uh, more realistic estimates say it was up to 5,000 Japanese had been killed. So it was a truly amazing uh, effort by the Marines and sailors uh, on on Wake. To, Rick Bigelow, uh, could they have held the out? I probably not. Okay. You know, I I, I think eventually um, they would have been taken. Only uh, the the first set of Marines of Japanese Marines had had landed, and you know they they landed in in the middle of the night, and as the uh, sun came up, they could see the Japanese ships were completely surrounding the islands. Or the island, and uh, and they then they knew that uh, no one was coming. So they, I think Devereaux and Cunningham correctly uh, decided that if they continued to fight, all their men would have been killed. Yeah. Uh, so they so they decided to uh, to surrender. And, and there's an amazing the, story about uh, a PFC Wiley Sloman of Texas. Right. Tell us that one. Right. Well, he was on one of the batteries in Wake. And uh, in the early hours of uh, December 23rd, he was shot in the head, uh, and his his mates thought he was dead. Uh, three days later, he woke up in a pile of dead bodies that were being prepared for burial. <laughs> One of the other grunts said, hey, Sloman's alive. Get a Corbett over here. Uh, and, and I mean, he couldn't move his left, the left side of his body. 
and he he looked out and he saw that uh, some of the gray matter from his own brain was was lying on his shirt. Uh, and, but he survived. He survived. He survived captivity. And actually, uh, one of the good stories about this is uh, one of the Japanese doctors from from the assault force took really pretty good care of, of uh, wounded Americans. And and Sloman always said that that doctor was the reason he, he had lived. So the, the, the last part of the story is, is the story. Well, we've got to take a break, part. and then I want to finish okay. the story. Uh, Rick Bigelow is our guest, talking about Wake Island, World War II. Bob Cadaro and the eponymous show will roll on. Let's hear from our great sponsors. Bloomberg Money Minute coming up. And then we'll come back with the conclusion of the Wake Island story, World War II with Rick Bigelow. This is the Bob Cadaro Show. Well, we're back with Rick Bigelow and uh, the Beatles. Well, what, at least three of them got together, McCartney, Starr, and Harrison. And they did a musical tribute to their band, departed bandmate John Lennon all those years ago. This date, 1981. Bob Cadero back on the Eponymous program, and Rick Bigelow is our guy. And we're talking to him about uh, all of this uh, Wake Island. I mean, what a just extraordinary story. All right, so, so Rick, give us the, I guess, the aftermath. They, we surrender, and there's uh, an aftermath, and then some facts that people were confused by. Go ahead. Right. Uh, so the, a, after the surrender, the, uh, the Japanese uh, herded everybody, just about everybody, onto the airstrip, took all their clothes, uh, tied their hands behind their back, and so on and so forth, lined them up in front of a bunch of machine guns. Uh, just about everybody thought they were going to be shot right there. But after waiting for almost a day, the Japanese commander said that uh, the emperor had authorized taking prisoners and they wouldn't be executed so the prisoners were assigned work details. Uh, the officers were harshly interrogated, of course. Uh, and then a couple weeks later in mid-January, most of the prisoners, about 1,100, were herded onto a Japanese prisoner ship for a 12-day trip to uh, Japan and then on to China. Uh, so of uh, the 100 uh, prisoners or so, uh, were left on wake because they were uh, experienced and uh, uh, specially needed construction people. So they were left to to build fortifications for the Japanese on on wake. So after this prison ship uh, docked in Japan, a bunch of people were taken off the ship and never seen again. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they headed to Shanghai. Five prisoners were taken up on deck, blindfolded, beheaded and their bodies used for bayonet practice and their mangled remains were tossed overboard uh that sent a signal to the to the prisoners that we have to comply with what the japanese say prisoners wound up in camps in china and japan most survived and were welcomed home in september and october of 1945 some of the guards were horribly sadistic uh most were reasonable and uh the Prisoners, fortunately, in Japan and primarily in China, were allowed to get uh, gifts or, you know, uh, food from the Red Cross. And there were some Europeans uh, in living in China who were able to help out the prisoners. So uh, a lot of them uh, survived. Of, of the civilians, uh, 
380 were killed during the battle for Wake or died in uh, Japanese captivity. Uh, the Wake POWs were among those held in Japanese captivity, the longest during World War II. So in October of 1943, uh, about 100 prisoners uh, were still working uh, on Wake Island for the Japanese. One of the prisoners was beheaded for stealing, and uh, the, the Japanese commander ordered that the rest of the prisoners and the slave laborers essentially be executed. They were taken to a remote spot, uh, blindfolded and executed with machine guns. One prisoner escaped by playing dead. He remained at large on the island for several days and scratched a message onto a rock, which is still there today, that says 98 USW POWs. And then he put the date, uh, wow. May 10th of, uh, pardon me, October 5th of, uh, of 1943. And th that message is still there today. He was caught a few days later and, and beheaded. You think Talking about Rick Bigelow the, of the fate, and we don't have much time, but I, I just just a comment. Uh, they, they knew their fate was horrid and grisly, and, and somehow many of them survived. Wow. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that, especially the, uh, the Marines, the Marines uh, – survived at a far greater rate than, than most uh, Japanese because they, they kept discipline, they kept the esprit de corps, and they kept the chain of command. And, uh, you know, they just, the, the Marine leaders, uh, commanding officers just, you know, insisted that they, they, they were still Marines, even though they're uh, prisoners of war. Something like 30% of all Japanese uh, prisoners, uh, Americans and Europeans who were in Japanese POW camps, died in captivity, uh, and only about 15% of the Marines. So they, they did uh, much better there. Uh, in contrast, in, in Germany, only about 1% of Allied prisoners died in captivity. So if you were a German prisoner, you were probably going to survive. If you were a Japanese prisoner, the issue was in doubt. Uh, and, and finally, the uh, the story of Wake Island uh caught the attention of the American public in the early days of the war. A movie called Wake Island was rushed into production in 1942, and it came out in August of 1942, and it was a huge hit. And this was right about the time that the Marines were landing on Guadalcanal and on Tulagi. So uh, it, this, uh, this gave a real shot in the arm uh, to the American public and also increase the resolve to go against uh, the Japanese. So it's a truly amazing story in my book. You you mentioned uh, when the Wake Island POWs, who had been gone to that prison ship, when they returned, they were surprised to see the movie concluded uh, with all the defenders of Wake being killed. Yeah, that's right. Well, as soon as they survived, all the communications with Pearl yeah. uh, were, were ended. And it wasn't until... Many months later, that um, that Red Cross officials actually were able to get in to the prison camps and and tell some of the family members back in the states that your you know your your sailor your marine is still alive. So. Amazing, and it was partially <laughs> true because those that remained on the island were eventually executed. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Well, so, Rick Bigelow, Marine. amazing story. I'm so happy you brought it to us today. Uh, always a pleasure. And we look forward to hearing from you again on a uh, story of great historical importance. 
Happy to do it, Bob. All right. Rick Bigelow, our historian, veteran himself, and uh, one of our great patent attorneys. Well, our guy is going to take us out, Toby Keith. Happy birthday, America. Oh, gosh. It just gets to you. Somebody texted in, glad I caught Rick's World War II story. The rest of your show is divisive and hateful, not worth listening to. Well, then you're probably the exact person that needs to listen to it. Because you're blind to fact, truth, and reality. I don't know why. Check yourself. Find out why. We we talk facts, historical and current. Please accept that. Learn. Time for the news with Brian Hughes. Thanks, Toby. We'll be back. Go YLK News Radio. This is the Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 